G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch. Let's head into our feature guest. Casey Barnes, number one charting singer-songwriter from the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. In April of 2020, released an album, Town of a Million Dreams, with the lead single, Sparks Fly. Ahead of their latest album being out, Casey joined us for a chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks for having me. The reason why I wanted to have a chat with you, and we won't get too gloomy too soon, but you're having a bit of a conversation with the great entertainment reporter Peter Ford, and let's be honest, these aren't easy times, and I went, I want to know how Casey Barnes is. So, with that in mind, how are you? I'm good, mate, and and it's an amazing thing, the power of Twitter, some of the the most intriguing opportunities and connections that I've made over the last maybe 10 years have, funnily enough, often come through the power of Twitter. It's really interesting. I, I'm, I could probably share with you a couple of stories as we go along, but it's an amazing way to connect with people and um, not just through Twitter, but other forms of you know, social media as well. Yeah, Peter's a, he's a lovely bloke and very generous and always wanting to help. Let's get the Twitter mentions out of the way or the Twitter interactions. I'm pretty keen to have as a guest Reggie from Big Brother. That new series has just started again on Channel 7 as well. We are, mate, and I think we've got that connection that goes right back to the fact that we're both originally from Tassie and it's, it's funny like when Tasmanians leave leave Tassie and bump into each other you know wherever they've ended up moving like with us Reggie and I are both based up here on the Goldie it's just an instant connection of I think you know a lot of people that are born and raised in Tassie I always find uh, usually really down to earth and grounded and you know pretty decent people most, most of the time and so Reggie and I have just been mates she also knows my wife and, yeah, she's a lovely person and I've always had a, a real soft spot for her. Well, I have, but that's from a TV viewer point of view. An absolute legend she is. And just we'll just continue on the Big Brother Tasmanian thing before we get to your music, and that is just yesterday, record time, Laura Clare, who was originally from Tasmania and moved to Melbourne from Big Brother, released her latest EP album release called Salty Sweet. And it's just kind of nature you Tasmanians have that it's such a genuine release. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, it's an underrated little state. Not a heck of a lot of people that live, live down there, but when you look back at not just music, but even on the sporting sphere, you know, there's um, there's so many great sporting, you know, people that have come out of Tassie and some great bands down there as well. And, and it's um, I think you've got, as a kid when you're growing up, you've got so much time on your hands. And, you know, if you don't get into something like sport or music or a hobby of some sort, you can... Sometimes, you know, go off the rails. You know, some kids do, you know, go off the rails if they don't find something to focus on. And, yeah, there's some real genuine talent that comes out of the state and it's good to see. Yeah, I'd get people to have a listen to our chat with an artist called Claire Ann Taylor. She's still down in Tassie doing some great stuff. But to you, Cassie, if we can talk about just Tasmania, I guess getting those early days under our belt, a bit of an idea of how you get to number one on the charts from Tasmania. What was it like in Tasmania growing up for you? Um, honestly, all great memories. I mean, I don't look back at my childhood and feel sorry for myself in any way. I, I grew up in a very supportive home and, you know, my mum in particular always, always had music playing and records and all different styles of music, not just one particular, you know, form of music. And then, you know, I, as I got a little bit older, I, I picked up the guitar and started to learn how to play. And, and then I had an amazing um, high school music teacher who was, 
really supporting and saw something in me at the time that um, he sort of pushed me into into becoming comfortable playing in front of an audience and you know maybe a, we did a few school assemblies and um, once I got those under my belt I thought I could definitely get used to doing this and that's where it all started so definitely have lots of great memories. And when we talk about a town of a million dreams, are we talking about Tasmania? Are we talking about somewhere in America? Or are we talking about the Gold Coast? Well, the town of a million dreams could be any town. It could be the listener relating to where their town is that they grew up in and having dreams. And I think that's the message behind the, the title of the album. You know, for me growing up as a kid, I, I did. I had all these dreams of what I wanted to achieve when I got older. And as I got older, those dreams got bigger and bigger. And I started... It's a funny story, but when I was living in Wonchester in Tassie, there was a, a little Irish bar that I used to walk past when I was going to school, and there was a blackboard out the front, and it had who was playing on each different night of the week. And at the time, I thought, if I can get my name on that blackboard on a Tuesday night, I reckon I'll hit the big time. That was my goal, and funnily enough, that was my first ever gig that I ended up getting was at that pub. It's funny, because you, know, you tick that goal off, and then you move on to the next, and the next, and you keep going from there, but... The actual title, Town of a Million Dreams, comes from a lyric out of one of the tracks on the, the album called Bright Lights, which is a song which is all about, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Nashville, and Nashville in particular is this incredible place of so many ridiculously talented people, musicians and producers, and all styles of different music, and there's so many people pushing to reach their dream of, or whatever it might be, so that was where that lyric sort of came from. If I can take you back to that blackboard when you eventually got there on Tuesday, did they have like a tight-ass Tuesday schnitty or anything like that? What was the atmosphere like inside the pub? <laughs> it was great. It was Honestly, it was, you know, picture there's many, many you know, Irish pubs around Australia and I've spent my fair share of time, you know, doing gigs in lots of different ones as I grew up. And actually, funnily enough, some of the most pivotal moments in my career have happened playing in Irish bars. But that particular pub was, place where I very first started and I used to go along and watch another guy do his covers gigs this was before I had the courage to do them on my own and I used to sit there and watch him and you know just wonder you know, how can I do this myself and he was actually nice enough he came up to me I think on one of his breaks and said mate why don't you get up in the next set and, and play a few songs and I said oh no no I'm, you know I'd, I'd be too shy to do that and my buddies all said no why don't you do it so so I did, and I got up and played, you know, it might have been three or four songs, and the manager heard it. He said, well, why don't we give you a run and see how you go? And that's how it all started. But then, you know, I've got other memories. I, when I moved to the Gold Coast, as I grew up a little bit, I was around 1920, I made the move up here to Queensland, and I used to have a residency again at a, another Irish bar up here. And there's a, an Aussie rock band called The Butterfly Effect, who were big in the early 2000s. Huge Aussie rock band, and a guy called Clint Bogue, the lead singer, I didn't know who he was, but he was sitting in the crowd at one of my gigs, and he said, mate, when you're on your next break, I'd love to have a chat. And he sort of took me aside, and it was this real pivotal moment for me where he gave me this huge kick up the backside and said, mate, I'll be honest with you, what are you doing playing or wasting your talents playing in covers gigs, playing in pubs? And I said, oh, I don't know what you mean. He said, mate, you need to back yourself, start writing your own songs and get out there and release your own music. It was just this amazing chat that he gave me and, and I yeah, never looked back after that. My understanding is the country genre, that particularly in Australia, maybe it's an Australian thing with our mateship and everything else, is very much a collaborative kind of genre to be in. Yeah, it is, and it, it's growing with popularity, especially in the last couple of years. It's, it's a special thing here in Australia, the connection that you've got with not just the country fans, but 
the fellow artists, we're all you know pretty close knit and we look after one another, and which I really love. But there's a new shift in even the country sound in the last couple of years. People are or commercial radio are starting to play country music, you know, with the likes of Morgan Evans and Keith Urban and you know Dan and Shay and, and all these different acts that are actually getting a run on country radio. And a lot of people will come up to you now, you know, even listening to my stuff, and they'll go, oh. Mate, I, I didn't really used to like country music, but I really like your stuff. And I think that's, it's nice to see that there's a change happening and people are actually, you know, warming to the whole new sort of country sound, which is great. Oh, hey, my name is Emily Hatton, and I'm coming up soon on Radio Notes Podcast. Listen to my new single, Maybe, featuring Troy Kemp. I want to talk about Sparks Fly because the current single that it is. It talks a little bit like Better Days about dresses. What's your favourite kind of dress? When you're having a look at people wearing dresses, what's your favourite kind of dress? Favourite kind of dress? (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, I'm happily married. Um, So it's the one your wife's wearing? Definitely. My wife owns some beautiful dresses. I know in particular she's a fan of the Camilla, which we definitely couldn't be affording at the moment under the current circumstances, but she's got some beautiful dresses. I remember the day that I met her, actually. It was, I was doing this tiny little gig and she happened to walk past and stop and it was an instant connection. I guess that, funnily enough, that's a segue to what the song is about. It's about that instant connection and chemistry and spark that you have between yourself and whoever your partner might be. It, yeah, we thought it was a great sort of topic to write a, a song about. What colour was the dress on that day? It was pink sort of thing. She was wearing, I don't know for a fact, she was wearing this really cute little pink beanie and I'll never forget that. There's also reference to July 4th, which of course is American Independence Day. Do you have a sense that the music needs to also sit well with an American audience as well? Do you feel like both Australian and maybe American because of the Nashville connections? Yeah, look, I definitely, I mean, obviously proudly Australian, but I've spent a lot of time in the States over the last 10, 15 years. And I've always had a fascination with the States right back to when I was a, you know, a kid of 15, 16, I started going across and I did a student exchange over there and studied. And then I went back and worked in one of the big summer camps over in North Carolina as a counsellor doing sport and music with the kids. And I've just always had a connection with the States and Sparkfly in particular, I actually teamed up with a Nashville-based two writers, uh, a guy and a girl who co-wrote Sparkfly with me, and I guess that was a great connection to have with those guys. And the reference to the 4th of July and sparks and fireworks is, is always a visual thing for people to, to, to have in their heads when they're, they're listening to the song. But, yeah, I absolutely love the state. I've been going back and forth a lot in the last couple of years as well, doing shows and festivals over there. Missy Lancaster does some work with you featuring on a tune or maybe two. Missy Lancaster, yeah, she is a lovely... A lovely girl um, and, and a super, super talent Australian. And we've we've been mates for, for a, a long time. And when I I was over in the States again in the middle of last year and I was riding with a girl called Hayley Warner. Now, she's another Aussie. We were on Australian Idol together, believe it or not, a long, long time ago, 2009. And Hayley now lives in LA and she is a pure songwriter. She writes for everybody. Even I think one of her last big hits she wrote with Katy Perry which was her last single, which went number one all over the world. So she's an amazing songwriter. We were over in, in LA and this particular song came about and I was going to release it on my own, but then I thought it'd be great to actually team up with somebody and do it as a duet. Missy 
was just the perfect voice for the song. We sent it to her and she loved it. And yeah, we collaborated together and, and put it out as a duet and it's a really special little song. You did mention Australian Idol in passing. The only thing I want to mention about that is Marsha Hines said of you, you're very comfortable behind the guitar. That was the wonderful Marsha Hines speaking about you in 2009. So she was right there. Uh, she's a lovely person, actually, Marsha. She's fantastic. It was a great experience. Funnily enough, I always said I was never going to go on a reality TV show. I used to have, you know, it'd be drunk punters usually at the end of the night back in, you know, 2008 or whatever, and they'd come up and they go, mate, I reckon you should have a go at that uh, that bloody Australian Idol show. You'd go all right at that night. Always say no because I didn't, you know, really want to go down that road, but it ended up being something that caught me light and brought me out of my shell, and I've become a lot more comfortable. And it was, yeah, it was a good experience. I'm not a sporty kind of guy, but back to the Twitters very quickly. I noticed that you interact with a goal that was kicked between the Adelaide Crows and Collingwood of Andrew McLeod, and you also like Fitzy as a broadcaster as well. Are you an Adelaide Crows supporter? No, I'm a mad AFL fanatic, though, and I'm a huge Hawthorne supporter. But there is a funny story that ties in with Twitter and footy, which I can share with you. But I've known Fitzy since, actually, since he came off Big Brother, which was you know, many, many, many years ago. And um, he was very green at the time. He, he was actually completely different to the way he comes across. Like he's very polished and professional and, you know, he's excellent on TV these days. Very funny guy. But when he came off the back of Big Brother, we actually did some events together where I was performing at the events and they had Fitzy come along as a bit of a personality there to chat to the crowds. And I'll never forget, like, he just, because he hadn't done it very much before, he just he was dropping the F-bomb every second sentence in front of, like, huge room full of people and, you could just see people looking at one another going, what is this guy doing? And, yeah, very, very funny guy that I've known Fitzy for ages. Going back to the, the connection with footy, um, there's another sports person, a guy called Joe Ingles, who's an Aussie basketballer. He plays for an Australian basketball team and he also plays over in America for the Utah Jazz in the NBA. And we started at this connection over Twitter where he's a fellow Hawthorne supporter and so am I. And we used to banter back and forth about footy. And then the next thing you know, he sent me a, a message and said, listen, I'm, I'm actually getting married next year to my, my partner, Renee. Would you be interested in playing at our wedding? So it was funny. We ended up getting flown down to Adelaide and playing at their swanky wedding up in the hills of Adelaide and the wineries. And it was just a who's who of Australian sport was all at this wedding. But that all came through a, a simple connection through Twitter. So it's an interesting thing how it unfolds sometimes. What do you think of this little town called Adelaide? I love it. I think it reminds me a lot of, there's parts of it that remind me a lot of, of Launceston, I think, because it's, you know, he's one of the older townships. Obviously, now it's a city, but the architecture and all of the beautiful cathedrals and churches and, and the people that they're, um, it, it is similar to Tassie. And I, I've done quite a few gigs down there over the last 10 years, and I love it down there. It's a beautiful spot. Some of my very, very good mates, my, one of my best mates is down in Adelaide as well, so I've always had a, a good connection. Should we touch on this issue where we are right now? And that is where a great musician like yourself has a kicker of an album, but then you can't tour it. How are you feeling about that? How are you getting your head around that? Yeah, look, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, at the very beginning of this, it was it was, it was pretty gut-wrenching only because we had spent months and months preparing a tour and putting it together and rehearsing it. And there were a lot of people involved, not just myself, but you know, my entire band and the crew and flowing right down to the guys that work behind the scenes for me. And we put a heck of a lot of time into it and we had a lot of people looking forward to us coming and playing in the neck of the woods. 
yeah, to have that sort of happen. I mean, it's obviously many, many artists from all over the world have been put in the same position. So it was gut-wrenching at the time, but I think you're left with a choice of how you handle it. You can let it, honestly, let it get to you and, and it's easy to get down in the dumps about it or you can go, okay, how can we approach this from another angle and try and stay positive and come at it from a different headspace? And that's exactly what we've done. You know, we also had the option of, you know, do we actually release the album now or we hold it over until this all blows over and it's a different landscape to actually to release music. But again, we thought, no, look, let's, let's push ahead with it. People need a break from reality. They want to listen to music and, um, you know, let's put it out. We made that decision and I'm really proud that we did and, and we've, we've had a great response to it. And, you know, we've been doing the Facebook Live as well, which instead of going out on the road and touring, we're actually bringing the concert to people's lounge room and giving them a break from reality and taking questions and having that connection over, you know, the live stream. It's been great. So, you know, it's just been a, a matter of, of changing your perspective and trying to roll with the punches. And even on the weekend that we're recording this, the third Isolate Festival, which is 24 hours of 20-minute music sets, are happening across Instagram Live. So musicians definitely are able to get their music out even from their Isolate. I guess the thing is about how to recruit and live and merchandise has been the key. So at the end of the day, at least you have the album to merchandise and the T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean probably 90% of most musos income comes from performing live and I think that's what hits the industry the most is you know that, that income stream isn't there and, and it's as I said before it's not just the guy at the front performing and it's so many people behind the scenes that it flows on to so that's where it sort of had a devastating effect on a huge amount of people and luckily there's been some guys like support acts who have set up a they're an online charity that are set up for people that are really down you know, and struggling and need that crisis help and, and even mentoring because not just the financial impact, it's actually a lot to do with the mental impact and there's a lot of people in the music industry that are pretty fragile and feel it a lot more than some other people. So I think, you know, have that ability to to call up, support us and chat to somebody and have some support there is, is really a, a great thing. There's a lot of negatives that have come out of this, but on the flip side, there's been some amazing things that have come out of it as well, which I think we should try and focus on that too. Supportact.org.au if things are a little bit more on thin ice, lifeline 13 11 14, or if you need some resources, beyondblue.org.au. Can I ask, because you seem to be someone who does have the ability to embrace the positive, or at least that from a performer point of view seems to be the case, and engagement with the live audience as well, what keeps you positive? Oh, look, for me, it's my family, number one. I'm very, very lucky to have incredibly supportive wife and my kids and my you know, immediate family have always had my back from the start and um, and I think without them there would have been some pretty tough times of you know getting through not just what we're going through now but you know just there's a lot of in the music industry there's a lot of ups and downs you really are on a roller coaster where sometimes it can be going incredibly well and then sometimes you know you can you can have setbacks like you know what we're going through now and you've got a You've got to learn to adapt to that. So I'm very lucky to have their support and they've always got my back. Another thing I note is that you've been hanging out or at least doing the walkity walk at Springbrook National Park. What's that all about? Are you a big hiker? You've done well. Well, yeah, I, I do. I mean, we love the outdoors. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of physical activity. I think that's another thing that's important to anybody's um, mental health too is you know incorporating 
some sort of physical exercise. And for me, I try and do something every day just to blow the cobwebs out and get a fresh head. And that particular um, little outing was my wife's birthday and we decided while it was still safe at the time to do so, we'd get in the car and drive somewhere remote and, and isolated and, and we went for this incredible hike through you know, the, the hinterland of the Gold Coast and found these waterfalls and took a little picnic. It was great. It was something that the girls you know, wouldn't normally get to do. It was a lot of fun. Burlington Brook Falls from memory as well, which uh, looked outstanding. It just amazing. There was another little thing that I posted. I, I think it's gone now. It was on my Instagram story. But I, I don't mind doing a bit of background commentary. I've been known to, to do these things. Very unique guy that we spotted. We're at a very safe distance away from him, but he looked to be like your typical German tourist. And he decided he was down into his, literally in his jocks. That was all he had on. And he had his camera out and he was taking, you know, taking all these uh, wildlife photos and standing in the water and stuff. And I decided to back announce and commentate everything he was doing for a good couple of minutes. That was quite amusing. I, I, um, I put that up on my. <laughs> You remember Roy and HG, you know, the sort of stuff that they would do. It was along those lines. And there's another time we went up similar location up the back of the Gold Coast. There's a swimming hole that's up, up the back here. And there was a particular, I think it was Australia Day last year. And there were all these, a lot of these real big Maori guys that were all up there. And they were having this bomb-off competition where they were jumping off the cliffs into the water. And so I, I had great enjoyment in adding a bit of background commentary to that. And it was good. I reckon if music doesn't work out, I'll you know dabble in a bit of you know Channel Seven Sport commentary or something. Hi, I'm Cynthia Toro. My latest album is Moments, and I'm coming up on Radio Notes. Casey Barnes joins us. A very special guest. That new album you can get right now is called Town of a Million Dreams. We've established that's where you want it to be. Who have you got on this album in the studio making this recording what it is? Oh, gee, that's a, a good question. There's a lot of incredibly talented people behind the scenes that help put it together and ranging from, you know, people here in Australia and also some great connections that I sort of was able to make over in the States as well. But here in Australia, I, I've been lucky enough to work with two producers down in Melbourne, a guy called Michael Delorenzis and another guy called Michael Painter. And Michael Painter, if you don't know who this guy is, do yourself a favour and Google his name. Incredibly talented guy. He plays guitar with Ice House. He plays keyboards with the Veronicas, and he also releases his own music. And he's got a voice like John Farnham and Rick Price had a baby. I guess is probably the best way to explain it. He's ridiculously super talented guy. I was lucky enough to work with those two on a lot of the album and co-writing for them. And then over in Nashville, I teamed up with an, an Australian producer that was working over there at the time, a guy called Matt Fell, who. He's won you know, multiple arias and gold guitars. He just had this opportunity for to team up with him while he was going to be in Nashville. So um, I recorded part of the album with him, and we got some some amazing you know session players in on the record as well. I guess notably would be one guy in particular, a long-time drummer for Keith Urban. He we were lucky enough to jag him, and he came in and played drums on a lot of the songs. And yeah, it was a great experience, and very very lucky to team up with lots and lots of super talented people. As someone who believes in big dreams and dreaming big, how far off do you think you are of working with Keith Urban? Yeah, it'd be a dream come true. It's funny how close you can be to somebody. I mean, I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple of times in person and he's a lovely, lovely, humble bloke and obviously incredibly talented. And it's funny because I've done a lot of work with another Aussie called Rick Price. Rick was massive 
funnily enough, when I was growing up, going through high school, I used to listen to Rick Price all the time. He was on the radio. I was going back to the school bus every day. I'd be always hearing songs over the radio. And Rick and I were lucky enough to, to connect in Nashville where he is now. And, and Rick is great mates with Keith. And he'll often get a text from Keith. And this is that's actually a funny story. He'll, uh, he'll get a text and say, hey, we're having a barbecue on the weekend. Um, so you'll have to come over and bring your partner and Nicole will be here, and he always jokes about, you know, what the hell do you take to Keith's place for a barbie? You know, like, do you rock up there with a six pack of VB and some snags, or, or what do you what do you do? You know, and he just he just said he, they're just such lovely, down to earth, and real normal people, which is really refreshing. But I would love love to work with him one day. Let's take you back to the studio where this album was being recorded. What was the environment like within the studio environment? How was this all put together like that? It was done in, in a couple of different ways. I guess it actually the album as a result takes people in on a little bit of a journey throughout. That's, a, I guess, another positive about going through the, the time that we're in at the moment is people have so much time on their hands and rather than the way that we've gone now with streaming, um, it's all about the single and people just listening to songs on their own. But I think because people have that little bit extra time on their hands, there's an opportunity to go back and actually listen to an album or a record in its entirety from start to finish and appreciate how the songs have been structured and put together. And with the recording process, a lot of the stuff I did in Nashville was done very organically in the studio with a heck of a lot of different live players and very raw and, and real. And then some of the stuff that I did here in Australia with Michael Painter and the boys um, was done in a different way where Michael Painter and, and Dello, the other guy that I work with, they... They're multi-instrumentalists, so they'll play guitar, bass, keyboards, all the instruments themselves, and it's a different way of recording. So, so yeah, there's a couple of different processes that we went through when we, we put it all together, but it, it's fun being part of both. How are you finding in these times that are a little bit more isolated from the teamwork that you would have been used to, I would guess, and, and particularly that of trying things out live, how are you going with the songwriting part of being a singer-songwriter? Um, oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it comes in all sorts of different ways. You know, I think that's one of the most interesting um, processes is, is actually writing. And there have been a, a couple of really interesting... Um, I shared an interview that I did not long ago with some guys actually came over to my house and shot it and actually talked to me about the whole songwriting process and some of the stories that have happened along the way. And that, yeah, sometimes they literally you tap into something and I don't know how to explain it but the songs sometimes can nearly write themselves and you're just facilitating the message that's coming through and it's hard to put into words but it's happened to me a couple of times and there's a song off my last album called Set Sail which is a tribute to my father-in-law who I was extremely close with and he passed away really suddenly out of the blue and it knocked us all for six and I'll give you the short the version of the story but he's favourite song of all time was Desperado by the Eagles and at his funeral we had a, a guy come along and actually play that song you know at the service and obviously very emotional time and then I think the, the week or two after that I, I was down in Melbourne finishing the album with the boys and they sort of said at the time how do you feel about writing a song as a tribute to your father-in-law and it just, I'm not sure if I can go there so I, I feel you know it's just a little bit too raw at the moment and um I just don't know if I can. And, and so we left it for the day. And the next day we came back into the studio and Michael Painter, he sat down at the piano and he just started playing. And the song of all songs that he could possibly play at that time, 
he started playing Desperado by the Eagles. He didn't know anything about the backstory behind the meaning of that song. It was just a random chance thing that he started playing that song. And then I obviously, you know, lost the plot. It was just this really spooky moment. Um, and then we ended up writing immediately after this song, Set Sail, which is the lyrics. Is, it was like Ted was getting a message through to say, I'm okay, guys. You know, I, I just want you to get a message through to, you know, my wife, Michelle, and, and our mother-in-law, Chris, that it's okay. I'm okay. I'm going to look out for you guys and um, and don't worry. And it was just this really spooky thing. But literally, the song wrote itself. And um, sometimes you can be lucky. I mean, yeah, things just happen and you tap into something and it's hard to explain. But that's, yeah, definitely a, a very interesting story. Do you get a sense the universe speaks to you as a musician or even as an individual in that way regularly? Yeah, oh, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these super, you know, over the top spiritual type of people, but I, I'm definitely, I think most, most musicians are, are pretty emotional people, and, and you do, you do connect to things, and I think if you allow yourself to do that, you can really tap into some brilliant stuff. And I, often there are times where I've written songs where I honestly look back and go, I, I don't, I honestly don't know where that came from. It just, it just came out of me, and it's not just lyrics, but it's often melodies and, and music that you'll, you'll just, like my phone will usually be full of ideas that I'll have. And I just, you know, I'll just record it down at the time. And yeah, it's a, it's a powerful thing. But I, I, it's one of the things I love um, the most about the whole, the whole process. You care deeply for your wife. What's the song that connects you to? What is the song that is the Michelle and Casey uh, song? Well, I've written, a, she's done well. I've, I've written quite a few songs. In particular, there's one of the songs that I wrote with Rick Price is called Michelle, and it's all about how we met and the place we were both in at the time. You know, we'd both come out of um, different relationships and we were both sort of um, had broken wings and, and we we're pretty, we we're hurting or whatever, but we met and it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to us at the time. And there's one particular song on the new record, which is, a, I guess, a dedication to Michelle, and it's called Fine Wine. And I co wrote that with. Hayley Warner, the girl I was speaking about earlier, who lives in LA. Hayley's actually a great a close friend of Michelle's as well. And song is all about being in a relationship that gets better with age, like a fine wine. And it's the truth, you know, it's funny how things can happen like that. And, you know, that connection that you've got that actually builds and grows. And so it is a tribute to her. It's one of my favourite tracks on the album, actually. Casey, a beautiful point to finish our conversation today. Thanks for joining Radio Notes. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Casey Barnes. Latest album, now out, called Town of a Million Dreams, can be found online at caseybarnes.com.au. Next time. Part of my process is writing down a whole bunch of idioms that come to mind. So if you look at Smoke and Mirrors, it's basically a whole bunch of idioms to do with pirates. You know, everyone thinks of it as the pirate song, which is why I then lived out my dream of being in Pirates of the Caribbean in the music video. Emily Hatton there. She'll be our feature guest. We'll also hear live acoustically and exclusively for Radio Notes versions of her current single, Maybe, and her former single, Hades. That's next time. Thanks very much to our special guest this week, Casey Barnes. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. 
Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.